This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. We're talking about the importance of being one in the move of God. God is moving, and we want to make sure we are maximizing this dispensation. Amen? And I want to make sure you understand you cannot maximize this dispensation without biblical fellowship. So that's what I'm going to look at today. Biblical fellowship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse number 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall... The one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, he says here that two are better than one. And I like that because he doesn't say two is more than one because that's obvious. (laughs) Two is more than one. But he said, I'm not talking about two being more than one. I'm talking about two being better than one. He's saying it's better to be in league with another than to stand on your own. Okay? So two are better than one. And I want to let you know, he's not just talking about, because we'll take the scripture and And we'll use it here, we'll use it there, we'll use it everywhere. Uh, But in all honesty, I want you to know that this is referring to God's ordained method of oneness. Okay, it's not talking about just two. It's talking about God's ordained method of oneness. Okay? So, two are better than one in God's ordained method of oneness. And understand this. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Keep your ribbon there in Ecclesiastes 4, but turn to Matthew chapter 15. More than one, two is always more than one. But it's not always better. Matthew chapter 15. Two is always more than one, but two is not always better. Matthew chapter 15. Starting at verse number 12. This is after Jesus just taught, okay? He just told the truth. And he told the truth and it offended the Pharisees. And so the disciples come back in verse 12. They talk to Jesus. That then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Amen. Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. See, two are more than one. But in this case, two is not better than one. And so, again, it's not just, you can't just use that scripture and just put it in any place. God has something specific in mind when he's saying two are better than one. 
Because we can have a whole bunch of people in here and all end up in a ditch. Amen. You know, I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. I'm going to say this. and <laughs> Now, we're talking biblical fellowship, okay? And I want you to know, God's ordained method of oneness includes fellowship. Biblical fellowship. And I want to emphasize that because we throw that term fellowship around everywhere. And sometimes when the Bible refers to fellowship, and we use the word fellowship, we assume they're the same. But I want to tell you that probably not. See, we go out to eat and we say we had fellowship. Uh, two might be more than one, but that two might not be better than one. You know, the men of integrity have something coming up this Friday. You know, we're going to get out and do whatever. But just because you come and sit down at the table with us doesn't mean you're in fellowship with us. Not biblical fellowship. Now, again, I'm not trying to turn, change our terminology. I'm not trying to get you to stop using it and make sure you use it properly because it's embedded now into our, to our uh, uh, vernacular. But I want you to understand what biblical fellowship is. All right? And I'm telling you, if we're going to maximize this dispensation, you must be in biblical fellowship. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Now, how do we get into this fellowship? I'm going to tell you this right now. If you are in Christ, you are in the fellowship. If you're not in Christ, you're outside the fellowship. And the thing about being in Christ is once we, become, once we are in Christ, there are a lot of new things. And so you might be in Christ and not be aware of what biblical fellowship is. And I want to make sure you understand that. Okay? Oh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. That is a wonderful scripture. Now, now, two is better than one, right? But he says, now, if you put an ox and an ass together, that might be two, but that's not better. <laughs> okay. For sake of speed, you want to hear this? The ox represents those who are in Christ. The ass represents those who are not. And I want to tell you this. Everyone who sits in church with you is not in Christ. So some in the church are oxes. But that's what it represents. And so some, some combinations are no good. And God wants the ox with the ox. <laughs> Amen. And the ass, he has no business around the ox. We're talking about biblical fellowship. We get in places and we think we can hook up with just anybody and get with anybody. But you better make sure you have biblical fellowship. They might be leading you into the ditch. So when we talk biblical fellowship, biblical fellowship means to have unity. Number one, it means to have unity. We'll talk more about that. It means... Not only to have unity, but it means to be in allegiance. It means to be in allegiance. That means I can count on you. And you can count on me. It means to be in unity. 
It means to be in allegiance. It means to be of the same persuasion. To be of the same persuasion. See, we're in unity, we're in allegiance. We have the same persuasion. We are persuaded of the same thing. It means to be in unity, to have allegiance, to have the same persuasion. It means to have oneness with one another through the sacrifice of Christ. It means to have oneness with one another through the sacrifice of Christ. So it means to have unity, to be in allegiance, to be of the same persuasion, to have oneness with one another through the sacrifice of Christ, and it means keeping preferred company with one another. This is an expression of sincere love and care for each other. Amen. Boy, that went, that makes me want to jump to places. Because people leave the place where they're loved and they're cared for. And then they wonder what happens in the place that they never should have gone to in the first place. It's because you left the place where people sincerely loved you and sincerely cared for you. And people don't think that's a big deal nowadays. We jump from church to church to church. But in all honesty, God has a place for you. God has a place cut out for you. Stay in the place that God has cut out for you. Hmm. Amen. Fellowship means to have unity, to be in allegiance, to be of the same persuasion, to have oneness with one another through the sacrifice of Christ. It's all of these things. You can't have one without the other and be in biblical fellowship. It means keeping preferred company with one another. An expression of sincere love and care for each other. When this is in common and you're with someone else that you have this in common with, that's better than one. So let's talk about to have unity. So I expect for the rest of my time I'm going to spend on this, number one, to have unity. Okay? Now we've heard about this recently. We've had some teachings on oneness and in unity. Unity means, I'm going to use two definitions. Unity means not being multiple. You've heard that before, some of you have. It means not being multiple. And turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Talking biblical fellowship. Galatians chapter 3. We're in biblical fellowship. We have unity. We're in allegiance. We have the same persuasion. We have oneness with one another through the sacrifice of Christ. We keep preferred company with one another as an expression of love and sincere care one for another. Now, when we talk about unity, we're talking about not being multiple. But also we're talking about, are you in Galatians chapter 3? We're going to look at verse 28. To have unity means not being multiple. It means the absence of diversity. Amen. Hold your horses. The absence of diversity. Because I know when people hear that, they think one thing. I'm going to explain some things to you. Uh, but I get that from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Can I keep going? There's neither black or white. There's neither brown or black. There's neither Democrat or Republican. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. 
I don't care what nation you come from. Once you get in Christ, you're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no Venezuelan. There's no American. There's no Thailander. There's no British individual. We're all one in Christ Jesus. There is an absence of diversity in Christ. We're talking biblical fellowship. We're talking about having unity. We have to have unity if we are in biblical fellowship. I'm telling you, that is the absence of diversity, according to Galatians 3 and 28. So when I talk about the absence of diversity, diversity represents something makes us different. Something separates us one from another. That's the idea of diversity. It starts there. Something separates us. Something makes us different. And, and naturally, we stay separated because of those differences. Now, and, and I know where it minds goes. This is why I have to explain it. Because in society, our modern day society, we cry out for diversity. Amen. We say we need diversity. Let me tell you what the idea is, if you don't understand it. You should. But the idea is that we are different. That people are different. And because we're different, we're separated. We don't like to come together. Amen? We don't prefer to come together. And since we don't prefer to come together, because of our differences, we have different ideas. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different perspectives. And so the idea of diversity says, since we have all those differences, let's take advantage of those differences and get all those different people who are separated by whatever they're separated by and get them together. And let's take advantage of that. Now, I want to tell you why they take advantage of that. Because this is a capitalistic society. And if they only concentrate on one group of people, that squeezes down their potential consumer market. And so I need to have somebody who can help me appeal to another group so that I can open up my markets. Because if I can open up my market, then I can make more money. Then the company's margins go up. Then I get bigger bonuses. Then I get bigger houses. Then I... That's the idea of diversity. Now, I want you to understand this. I am not criticizing the idea of diversity. Because I'll be honest with you. Uh, some people aren't going to get anywhere in this country without that policy <laughs> of diversity. So I'm not trying to be critical of the policy of diversity. But I am saying this. Look at what diversity brings us. When we employ diversity, we end up with fights. We fight for equal rights. Amen. We fight for equal rights. We fight for equal pay. See, that's diversity at work. Amen. That's because we're separated. You didn't know that? Yeah. They brought you together because you are separated. Because there's distance between you. Because you're not the same. You're going to be treated differently. We fight for equal time. They have heroes. We need to have heroes too. We fight for equal representation. Amen. 
Ah, hallelujah. Glory to your name. You change the juries, but look at the outcomes. They really haven't changed, have they? That's diversity at work. God's not looking for diversity. That's not what he's calling out for. You know, two are better than one. No, just bringing two different people together isn't necessarily better than one. So again, I'm not criticizing the policies. I'm just saying, if that's the result of diversity, that ain't fellowship. Amen. Glory to your name. If that's the idea of diversity, that is not fellowship. In the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, there is a time, and many of us are, there's a time when the Bible lets us know when deacons were instituted. And they were instituted because there grew some fighting. The fighting was an indication that there was not true biblical fellowship. And the elders said, you know what? This ain't right. And so what we need is we need to appoint some people over it. And you know who they appointed? They had specific guidelines and prerequisites for the people they could choose. The people they chose, they had the confidence that they were in biblical fellowship. They weren't going to let that thing go because true biblical fellowship doesn't end up in fights. Now, diversity does. But true biblical fellowship does not. So they called out people. Who they could trust. You know, people who were maximize their dispensation. People who were finishers. And they called them to squash it. Because they understood the importance of continuing in biblical fellowship. Now, diversity promotes our differences. Our differences are those things that cause us separation. When I say separation, I mean something creates distance between us. Amen? And hear me out. Something creates distance between us. Hmm. That distance isn't necessarily physical. It runs deeper than that. Now, I, I'm going to talk to you from my difference. Okay, I'm different. In this regard, in this country, I'm a black man. Okay, so... My people are rich with history. Okay? In this country. My people were at one time slaves. And, and I'll admit to you, this country has made strides. Uh, uh, let, let me say this before I get started. This is not a social commentary. I'm trying to teach you about biblical fellowship. I want to show you biblical fellowship is not the fellowship of this world. I want to show you what God is talking about when two are better than one. See, we've gotten together and we've gotten this concept in the church that two is better than one. We've just put everybody together and say, look, look at my mega church. Look how, how God must be on our side when in all honesty, a lot of them haven't entered into biblical fellowship. And there's still distance in the midst of them. So my people are, are they're rich in history in this country. They were one-time slaves. And we have made strides in this country and slavery was abolished. I thank God for that. <laughs> slavery was abolished. And when slavery was abolished, the separation didn't end. I might, my people might have been able to own land with those who used to own them, 
but that didn't make them any closer to them. They could be on the same land. See, while they were slaves, they were in close proximity together. But there was a distance that goes beyond a stretch of earth. So we made strides. We came from slavery to abolishing slavery. But even after we abolished slavery, there was a separation there. We were different. And that difference was promoted and was called segregation. And then one day, segregation ended. And it was a fight. Segregation ended. And so we could go to the schools with the other people. And we were in close proximity physically to other people. But don't you know, there's still distance between us? Now, what was it? Two presidential elections ago, we elected a black man be president of the United States. Does that mean we have now arrived and we're all together? No. You can live right next to somebody and be separated by them in miles in your heart and in your thoughts. No, you can, you can institute laws that make it look good, but that doesn't mean it is good. In like manner, you can attend a church, a local church, and sit next to somebody, even though they're in close proximity, there's a distance that runs deeper than a stretch of earth. Ooh, my goodness. I got to calm down because that is irritating to me. That is very irritating to me. Wow. We make comments about who marries who. Amen. I, I know you've never made a comment like that. And if you had, you've grown. I thank God that you've grown. But we make comments about who marries who. <laughs> you see, here, here it is. True biblical fellowship is not fellowship just when we get together under one roof. It is throughout our lives. Amen. We've got to stop being Christians when we're at church. That's diversity. That's no good. Like I mentioned about the early church, when the when the deacons were ordained, there were the Hebrews and the Grecians in the same place. But for some reason, someone was getting treated better than the other. That ain't God, and that's not bad. You might as well. I can do bad all by myself. That's not biblical fellowship. That's not having unity. Because I sing songs with you doesn't mean I have unity with you. Because, hey, hallelujah, glory. We just had a picnic not too long ago. Just because you picnic with us. Because we have oxes. Amen. <laughs> See, the distance I'm talking about runs deeper. The separation I'm talking about runs deeper than proximity physically. But fellowship is the removal of that distance. Amen. It's the removal of that distance. It is the breaking down of what separates us. It's the breaking down of what separates us. Hmm. Turn to Amos chapter 3. You have plenty of time. 
Amos chapter 3. Biblical fellowship is to have unity. It's the absence of diversity. (laughs) Because diversity promotes our differences. We're not trying to promote differences. We're not trying to take advantage of the differences. We're not trying to use the differences for gain. Amen. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Can I tell you about marketing? Can I tell you about marketing in some places? Marketing in some places says, hey, 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 there's somebody of a different persuasion. Put the camera on them. That way we can open up our consumer market. Our potential customers. (laughs) Our offerings get bigger. Just because they're in that place. Oh, my goodness. eh, Hallelujah. Glory to your name. The church has some repenting to do. You see, just because, here's the idea of diversity. Here's what I want you, want you to understand about diversity. Let me tell you how to get over in diversity. This is not a social statement. I am teaching you about biblical fellowship. Diversity says, I will bring somebody that looks obviously different than the rest of us. But I want to make sure they think like we do. So I can keep doing what I'm doing. But when somebody asks, and I say, see? <laughs> it's called token. And it's for a benefit, not because there's a removal of that separation. That separation is still there. It's just being played. And for some reason, we think we can play God, but do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever the church sows, shall the church reap. And I want to tell you, you are the church. Amen. Hmm. Amos chapter 3, are you there? Verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Powerful scripture. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now I want you to concentrate on walk. Now this is God talking to the nation of Israel. And he's not too happy. He's not, this is a rhetorical question. And he's not too happy with them. He's saying, now, can two walk together except they be agreed? He in his anger is prophesying to them. And the question is, what do you mean walk God? Now, when God says walk, check this out. He's not talking about a, a short stroll to the convenience store and back. He's talking about a journey. He's talking about a long trip. He's saying, we've got a way to go. We've got hills to climb. We've got waters to cross. And so he's not just talking about just a short, a short stroll. He's talking about something that is going to continue. Something that keeps going on. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Again, I can... He's talking about a continuous walk that keeps going. Some of you remember the picture we had with all the families on the, on the portrait. You know, I was looking at that. I've been looking at that the last couple of weeks. And I'm amazed at how many people were with us are not with us now. See, they started, but they didn't continue. And, not only, and somebody said, well, you, they just went to a different church. No, some of them did not continue. The fruit of their life says so. The actions of their life says so. And so when God says walk, he says we're in it to win it. 
We're in it all the way. At least that's God's idea. There's no starting and then eventually stopping. He said, now, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be in this kind of uh, walk together, we have to be agreed. He's talking about not only a sustained walk, he's talking about progressing forward together to a destination. Amen. He's talking about walking together. And not only walking together, we're making progress together. And we've got a goal in mind. God says, I know my thoughts toward you. I haven't expected in for you. But, but how are you going to get there? I'm going to walk with you. And you're going to walk with me. But can two walk together except they be agreed? So he's not referring to a sharp stroll. He's talking about a sustained walk. He's talking about progressing forward together to a destination. Amen. Glory to God. Don't you want to be an Enoch? Enoch, it says, walks with God. And he was not because God took him. Amen. Glory to God. If anybody takes me, I want God to take me. You know, we have all those love stories. Take me, baby. No, I want God to take me. But Enoch walked with God. And I love it about Enoch because it seemed as though there was a period in his life where it just changed. But today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Walk with God. Noah walked with God. See, that's the kind of walk you want. When the world is destroyed, but God upholds you. When no one else finds grace, but God gives you grace. See, that's the benefit of walking with God. So when he's talking about a walk here in Amos 3 and 3, he's talking about a continual, effective, and successful relationship with one another. Oh, you got to hear this. God is talking to Israel. God is talking to you. God is talking to the church of the living water. He's saying, you want to maximize this dispensation? Well, you don't want to walk alone. You want me walking with you. You want to walk with me. And when I say walk, I'm not talking about starting something and not finishing. I'm talking about a continual, effective, and successful relationship with one another. And I love that idea of relationship. Relationship, it can go different ways, but I want to tell you, God wants a relationship. God doesn't want a business arrangement. He wants a relationship. A continual, effective, and successful relationship with one another. Hmm. So when he says, can two walk together except they be agreed? He's talking about a continual, effective, and successful relationship with one another. Now, to walk together and be agreed is called fellowship. Are you with me? To walk together and be agreed is called fellowship. Now, why should we have fellowship one with another? Because two is better than one. <laughs> Amen. Hear me out. Two is better than one. Turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Because this is important. I'm talking to people who want to finish. I'm talking to people who want to maximize this dispensation. I want people who don't want to miss the move of God. And I want to tell you, you cannot afford to walk alone. You cannot afford to be on your own. You need to walk and be agreed. 
and that's called fellowship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 9 again. Let's read this again. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, I want to concentrate on verse 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about a fight. It's talking about a struggle. And I want to let you know, you will meet struggles in your life. If you think you haven't met them, they are on their way to meet you. And it won't take long. And I want you to understand, as a born-again believer who is in Christ, who's been brought into this oneness, you have an enemy. You have an adversary. (laughs) And the thing about it is that in spiritual warfare, the enemy understands, verse 12, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Uh, who's him? Him who is in biblical fellowship. Him who is walking together and being agreed. Now, if someone is walking together and being agreed, if they fall, somebody's going to be there to pick them up. And if one prevail against them, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The enemy understands this. It says, now, if I want to make strides against anybody... I'm going to have a hard time. See, it's a hard nut to crack when somebody enters into biblical fellowship. The enemy understands that. So what does the enemy want to do? You understand about spiritual warfare? The battleground is the mind. So the enemy wants to put you in mind to walk alone. (laughs) That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy, one of the enemy's goals is to put you in mind to walk alone. Wow. He is happy when he gets us to walk together but not be agreed. Amen. You know what that's called? It's called a fractured church. I want to tell you right now, today in our society, when we're talking about God bless America, the church of America is fractured. And you know it is. What are you doing going to that church with all those different people? Oh, hallelujah, glory to you. I know you didn't say it that way. I know you use different terms than different. Why are they attending that church? That's a different church. And the church has assisted. We like our differences. So, because we like our difference, you have your difference there, we'll have our difference, the black church and the white church. Still part of our vernacular today. You know, when you meet people, what do they say? Uh, Is your church black or white? See, the enemy is behind that. See, we don't recognize because our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so the enemy has gotten into the minds of those oxes and He's played off of that because he understands the threefold cord is not quickly broken. He says, now I can make strides against the church if I keep them fractured. 
By keep them separated. And not only that, you can be in the church. Didn't we already say this? You can be in the church with somebody who's different and then still be separated from them and the enemy is still playing with your mind. So he's happy when he gets us to walk together but not be agreed. He's especially happy when we just don't claim don't walk together. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. We're talking about the importance of oneness. Numbers chapter 14. Wow, I'm sorry. Numbers chapter 14. See, people think if they could find acceptance anywhere, in spite of their differences, they think they could find it where God is found in the church. Do you hear me? They don't expect the church to be spreading rumors about them. They don't expect the church to do something different to them than they do to anybody else. They expect to be loved there. They expect to be received there. They expect to not feel different there. Numbers chapter 14. But I'm telling you, the enemy loves it to keep us separated. And again, I'm not talking about physical proximity. I'm talking about what's on your mind. Numbers chapter 14, verse number 1. This is after the spies, the majority of the spies brought back an evil report. Verse 1 says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto him, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God we had died in this wilderness. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. I'm sorry. We might as well be dead. We'd rather be dead. Well, go ahead. You know, they're not trying to kill themselves, but they're talking, right? Verse 3. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land? Oh, now they're really talking, right? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Do you hear what they're saying? You ain't heard from God. God brought us here to die. Oh, you, you missed that all together. See, they're getting upset and now they're questioning. Now, he, they saw the Red Sea parted, but they've forgotten about the Red Sea. And now they're in a place where in all honesty, they've heard some things. Oh, I'm telling you, did you not expect opposition? Did you not know opposition was going to be there? I'm here to tell you. Once you are in Christ, life is better. But there is an adversary. There is an enemy. And he fights hard against you. He wants to get in your mind. He wants to do anything he can to get in your mind. See, that's the beginning of the fracture. These people really don't hear from God. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. You know, hallelujah, glory to your name. They say, you know, all we can do is hand it over to God in prayer. That's all we can do. These people are out of their mind. So God, we are just going to appeal to you. Verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and 
Honey, only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Here the thing is. Biblical fellowship is to be in unity. Now they have, we've discovered a fracture among the congregation. We've got Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb. And we've got the rest of the congregation. And this is a fracture that the congregation says, we're through. We're done. <laughs> Verse 10 again. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? Verse 12. I will smite them with the pestilence. And disinherit them. And will make of thee a greater nation, mightier than they. Now, I love that. Because here it is. They're saying, God, we're through with Moses and Aaron. We're through being on one accord. God says, oh, you're through? Let me show you how to be through. Because I ain't playing that fracture. He was hot. He was mad. He was upset. Because they exited out of biblical fellowship and entertained fractures. Mm. And those of you who don't know, here's what happened. That generation died in the wilderness. Because God was upset at them. And the next generation entered in. And that next generation, the whole land of Israel was set back because of their fractures. That is the trail of the enemy. Amen. That's the trail of the enemy. The enemy is behind that fracture. He gets into your mind. Makes you think differently than everybody else. Makes you want to walk alone. Makes you want to go back to Egypt. And it's not Moses and Aaron that's your issue. It's the enemy playing games with your mind. Because he understands if I can separate you from biblical fellowship, I can tear your life apart. You don't want to walk alone. So they were set back as a result of that. The enemy had tainted their minds to get this kind of effect. I want to tell you this. The enemy is behind the thoughts that talk about organized religion so badly. Uh, you know what organized religion is a code word for? It's a code word for any church that has order. So when people talk about organized religion is why I don't attend a church, why I don't go to church, it's the enemy. He has kept them away from biblical fellowship. It is the enemy who has played with your mind when you say, I don't need a church home. Trying to prevent you from entering into biblical fellowship. It is the enemy who has played with your mind when you are there. I'm telling you, it is so sad to see people who get here. And who make great strides, who see their whole family change and be altered, and then walk away. The enemy. Wow. What did Samson say? If you had not played with my helper. The enemy got into their minds. Let me tell you this. The enemy is going to challenge your mind. No, you don't hear me. The enemy is going to challenge your mind. If I had a penny, not even a nickel, a penny, for all those who come through here and say, no, 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 not me. And then it was them, because they didn't take heed. 
They thought they were so big and so strong that they could stand on their own. See, it's the enemy who tells you, I don't need a pastor. I can learn on my own. I don't need a teacher. It's the enemy. Because he understands Scripture better than you do. Woe to him who's alone when he falls. Because the enemy says, you're going to fall. <laughs> no, all I need to do is get you away from biblical fellowship because you're going to fall. Sometimes I don't even have to push. Sometimes you jump. But you're going to fall. Now, here's the thing about it. When you fall, because you will, you want somebody there to pick you up. We, and I'm going to tell you, we all have struggles, people. We all have breaking points. But in biblical fellowship, a three-fold cord is not soon or quickly broken. Amen. I'm telling you, people run from church to get counsel outside of church when there's not biblical fellowship there. And there's not the help that God has ordained and graced. Let me tell you what will happen to you. You will get some kind of assistance, but you will look for small ounces of progress for the rest of your life outside of biblical fellowship. Amen. Did you get that? You're trying to fix your limp, but you'll limp all the days of your life outside of getting where God has ordained for your help to be. You might limp a little less, but you still deal with that limp all the days of your life until you grasp a hold of, you know what? I need to enter into biblical fellowship. Turn back to Amos chapter 3. Are you hearing me? Can two walk together except they be agreed? So, I think we made this determination. We want to walk together and be agreed. We want to. We're talking about a relationship with God here. We're talking about continual, successful, effective relationship with God. And we have that when we walk together and be agreed with Him. And we see that if we're not agreed with Him, it's devastation on our part. So we want to walk and be agreed with Him. Now, how do we walk together and be agreed? I'm telling you, walking together and being agreed is called fellowship. We need to enter into biblical fellowship. And as we define fellowship, I want to show you what being agreed means. Now, being agreed means. Because not only do we have to walk together, we have to be agreed. Agreed in this walk does not mean someone agrees with you. Does not mean that you put up the idea and they say yes. Does not mean that your opinion being good is accepted by everybody. That's not what we mean when we talk about biblical fellowship. That's not what God means when he talks about can two walk together except they be agreed. When two parties are agreed, they have the same conclusion. They're on the same page. Okay? When two parties are agreed, they're, they're at the same conclusion. They're on the same page. But check this out. 
when God is talking to Israel about can two walk together except they be agreed, here's the issue. They were on their own page and they were not on his page. And let me tell you about God. God's not turning to your page. It's his page or you're not walking together and being agreed. No, you don't understand that. There is no negotiation with God. God, I go to church, but I'll keep my sin. No, 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 there's, there's no negotiation. You've got to love me with all, or you don't love me at all. God, God okay, okay, I, I'll give you my sins, and I go to church, uh, but I don't want I, I, I to deal with anybody else. No, 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 no. Uh, no, there's no negotiation. It does not work like that. This is where we get our own ideas of worship from. You're trying to negotiate with God, and God's like, I'm not turning from my page. You need to get on my page. This is why people fight against order in the church. Because they want to negotiate with God. And don't you understand? We are representatives of God. We would be guilty before God if we came off of His page. For you. And you ain't all that. Oh, no. We're not going to do something like that. And so when we refuse to move from the page that God has set, people are like, well, I'm not going to play with you. You're on your own. The enemy has played with your mind. You will fall. Just like we will. But who's there to pick you up? Amen. Church, as we build. Go back and read Nehemiah. As we build, the enemy is watching. Like that lion, he's seeking for an opportunity in your mind to enter in and break up your building project. And I want to tell you, one of the things he's going to try to do, he's going to get you separated in your mind from this congregation. They don't love me. I'm not a member of the clique. They don't talk to me like they talk to somebody else. Is anybody out there? And again, as, as, as kind, as loving, as a ministry, as I believe we are, the enemy is out there looking for an opportunity. He's been observing you, seeing what your breaking point is. Seeing what irritates you just to that point. And he's going to bring it before you and try to use that to enter into your mind. And create separation among us. Even though we sit in the same church. Even though we might be sitting in a chair right next to them. The enemy is looking for an opportunity to create separation between you and your brother or your sister. So when two parties are agreed, they have come to the same conclusion or are on the same page. But we have to be on the same page with God. No negotiations. Now I want you to understand this. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts chapter 10. If you're going to be agreed in this walk, we cannot have the chains of separation any longer on our minds. Grab a hold of that. If we're going to be agreed in this walk, 
can two walk together except they be agreed? If we're going to be agreed in this walk, we can no longer have those chains of separation on our mind. Well, you have to let go of some things. You have to get over some things. Otherwise, you cannot walk together and be agreed with him. Acts chapter 10. Are you there? Acts chapter 10, verse number 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. Stop and think about that. Because I know where this is going, but think about this. This man, who is different than the man who's going to be sent to him, has the assurance that God hears his prayers. God receives his offering. Wow. Think about that. Keep that in your mind. God hears him. And he's not upset with him and doesn't say, no, 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 you're too different from me. Hmm. Verse 4 again. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now I want you to get this. He says, man, I love you. That's what God is saying. When the prayers and your arms, all your acts, God says, man, man, I love you. But here's what I need. I need somebody else in your life. Oh, you missed it. You missed it. I need somebody else in your life because you can't walk alone. For all the good that you do, for all your devoutness, for all your sincerity, you are outside of the will of God by your own. You need somebody else. And God told him who you need. You need Peter. Now jump down to verse... Well, let's keep going. He lodges with one... No, no, jump down to verse 9. I don't want to read all this. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city... So Cornelius sends people after Peter. So on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance... And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So God knew what he was doing. He says, I'm going to let down this net and I'm going to fill it with a bunch of unclean animals. And he, being a Jew, would understand these are unclean animals. But I want Peter to understand biblical fellowship. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God had cleansed, that call not thou common. He's talking about the Gentiles. Cornelius was a Gentile. And the Jews don't consort with Gentiles. Amen. But we just found out God hears the Gentiles like he hears the Jews. 
And so he said, now I need them to come together into biblical fellowship. But I can't have you, Peter, be an instrument of mine while those chains are on your mind. So I've got to break down those chains. Verse 15 again, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So Peter goes down. He goes with the men. He goes to Cornelius' house, verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to stop right here and think about this. Here it is. Peter thinks that he really shouldn't consort with a Gentile, but here a Gentile is. He said, I have no issue bowing down before you if God sent you. Wow, we can learn some things. If they're sin of God, I don't care who they are. I don't care how different they are than me. If they're sin of God, I can't submit. Verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. Oh, again, what wonderful words these are. He says, I'm just a man. You're a man, I'm a man. I don't care about our differences. Aren't we all men? And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, ye know... How that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. <laughs> Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon and Tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God? Amen. To hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. See, if God is not a respecter, why should I be? But in every nation, I love it. I love it in every nation. I don't care what nation you're from. In every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Since God accepts you, I accept you. 
See, I got to get on the same page with God. Because God had to deal with Peter about the chains on his mind. God deals with his servants about these chains. Now, now you got to pay attention to Jonah and Nineveh. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to have you turn there. But Jonah was of the nation of Israel. And God said, Jonah, I need you to go to that great wicked city, Nineveh. Now, here's the thing about Nineveh. Nineveh was not a Jewish city. Nineveh is a city of Assyria. Now, if you are familiar with Israel's history, Assyria and Israel don't always get along. More times than not, in the times of the king, they were at odds. Now, history says Assyria was a mean cuss. They were a ruthless nation. And if they were ruthless against Israel, no doubt Jonah had some experience either through his mama or daddy, brother or sister, cousin. Maybe he witnessed some atrocities committed against Israelites by the Assyrians and by them of Nineveh. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying, do you? So maybe he in his mind had been hurt because of their past dealings. And so, Jonah, if you don't know the story, Jonah is a prophet. God told Jonah to go and cry out against that great city, that great wicked city. But Jonah went in a different direction. He went in the opposite direction. Why did he do that? Because of the hurts that were inflicted by the Assyrians on the Israelites that impacted his life. Oh, you're not hearing me, are you? Now I'm talking to my people would share my history. You know, some people have done you wrong. Now, here's the thing about Jonah. Did God let Jonah go? said, no, Jonah, you're going to minister to these people. I don't care your past hurts. Church, you've got to get over your past hurts. You've got to let it go. You see, because if Peter had not been dealt with, Cornelius' house would not have been saved by Peter's ministry. If Jonah had not been dealt with, the Ninevites never would have repented. See, see, how do we know when a move of God is finished? His will is done. His will is for those who at one time represent people who hated you to be saved. To be delivered. Wow, I'm sorry. See, this is why the enemy uses unforgiveness against you. Because the very same person who hurts you is the person who's going to need you. And God's going to say, go to that wicked person and tell them about my love. Amen. God deals with his people about those chains. See, to be agreed in this walk, you can't have those chains on your mind any longer. I know how we are at church. We talk good at church, but we get behind closed doors. Archie Bunker. It's the Jeffersons. Now, I don't get too many amens on that. Not at my house. We love everybody. (laughs) We have to get over past hurts and who's behind hurting us. We've got to get over it. 
The enemy will use that to his advantage. Turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. He wants to put those chains on your mind and keep you bound there. Well, I couldn't be under a... a, 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 mm, Can I say it? Yeah. I couldn't be under a black pastor. I couldn't be under a white pastor. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. I I know you don't know anybody who ever said anything like that. I know that's strange language to you. But people talk that way. People who say they love God. People say that they are His people. You've got to get those chains broken. You've got to let it go. Wow. Mm. Psalms 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Oh, do you get that? Uh, Ecclesiastes let us know, if two are together, then if one falls, the other shall lift up his fellow. God is telling us in Psalms, 20, Psalms 37 and 24, that's my hand. That's my hand. When the brother comes to you and helps you in your distress, that's the hand of God. In your downtime, when you raise, I'm sorry, in somebody else's downtime, when you rise up and God moves you to be a help to them, you're God's hand. And we have to come to this conclusion. God is no respecter of persons. <laughs> but those that fear Him and work with righteousness, no matter what nation they come from, no matter what makes them different, shouldn't they have the hand of God just like you? See, but the enemy wants to get in your mind. He wants to get you to walk along. So if you fall, no one's there to hold you up. And if somebody else has fallen, you're not there to help them up. Turn back to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'm telling you, you don't want to walk alone. And until you get it in your mind that you've got to get over your past hurts, you will not be successful in this move of God. You will not maximize this dispensation. And remember, if you miss the move, you end up out of his will. 3 and 28 again. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I like this because it lets us know you're one. (laughs) That's the statement of truth. Having received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, having entered into the body by the work of the Holy Spirit, you are now one. Whether you knew it or not, you're one. I like how Paul said it. Is Christ divided? No, he's not divided. See, if we're divided, it's not Christ, it's us separated from Christ. And we need to get on the same page. With God, because He's not turning to our page. We are one. That is the truth. We are one in Christ. Now, if we're one, then what is left for us to do? Walk in unity. That's what's left. Now we have to walk in unity. 
Amen. Can two walk together? Except they be agreed? Amen. So not only are we walking with God, we're walking with others that are, wow. Hmm. Listen. When we talk about the absence of diversity, not that what caused us the differences was never there. Not that it never existed. Not that it doesn't exist right now. But what was there that caused us separation, those differences, has been displaced. It's been displaced. In other words, what used to be so important to us has had to make way for something even more important and more valuable. Amen. Something has entered in that's more important than my ethnicity. Something has entered in that's more important than my politics. Something has entered in that's more important than where I live and what neighborhood I dwell in. Something is more important than my social class. Something is more important than my educational level. See, I, I want you to understand this. Not that there aren't differences in education levels. Not that there aren't differences in what jobs we have. Not that there aren't differences between males and females. Those differences are there, but now in Christ, Christ is greater. Hallelujah. He's greater. If he's not that great to you, he ain't greater. Do you hear Jesus talk to Peter? Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Ah, you don't hear him. He's talking to you right now. Do you love him more than your prejudices? And again, prejudice goes just beyond color of skin. Our prejudice goes, James talks to us about if someone dressed good comes in, don't treat them different than someone who doesn't dress good when they come in. See, that's prejudice in your mind. You become judges of evil thoughts at that time. But I love Christ too much to let past hurts keep me from loving you. Because if you love God, you're a brother. Amen. If you love God, you're a brother. Listen, First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And here's what's so stupid. We get stupid sometimes, people. I'll, I'll use that word. We get stupid sometimes. We're not even different than a person who's in the ministry with us, and then we'll still find differences. So how much more, when people really are different, do we have the wrong mind? 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Remember, ox and an ass can't plow together. 1 John 3 and 10. In this, the children of God, the ox, are manifest, and the children of the devil, the ass. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Now, now check this out. Neither he that loveth not his brother. I'm sorry, you missed that, right? God, I do righteousness, but do you love your brother? Because not loving your brother disqualifies you, and you're not the ox any longer. Then the question is, who is my brother? You know, someone wants to get smart. Just like the question was asking about, who's my neighbor? Someone's going to say, who is my brother? Chapter 5, verse 1. 
whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That means you said you believe in Christ. That means you're born of God. So if any other says they believe in Christ, they're born of God. You know what that makes you? Brethren. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. Oh, did you get that? You can't say, I love God, but I don't love his children. You can't say, Brother Martin, I love you, but I hate Taylor. No, you don't love me if you hate my son. It does not work that way. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. You can't say, I honor Pastor Hill, but I hate his children. It does not work that way. I can't stand his wife. It doesn't work that way. If you're a child of God, you love those other children that are with you. They inherit life with you. Hmm. You are one with them. So it's not that our differences have disappeared. They've just been trumped. Yeah. It's been a while since I played spades, but there's a trump card in spades. And when the trump card comes out, everything else is subservient. See, see when Christ is the trump card. My love for Christ is a trump card. So all of my prejudices become subservient because of Christ. Wow. See, the love of Christ constrains me. I can't do you wrong because I love Christ. No, you don't, you don't get it. I might not love you. I might not like you. But my love for Christ is stronger. My love for Christ is greater. His grace and mercy has done too much in my life for me not to love you because He loves me. So males in Christ are still males. <laughs> females in Christ are still females. There is still a difference between male and female. However, there's just something greater than our differences as males and females. And I want to leave you with this. This allows us to submit to one another in love within the body. Now, now you don't get this, do you? This allows us to submit to one another in love. Uh, she's a woman. What's she doing over that department? A man ought to be over that department. See, you have not entered into biblical fellowship. You know, again, you, you get a sprinkle of amen here, amen there, right? <laughs> it wasn't supposed to fall, but someone said they were asleep, right? Amen, amen. But it's the truth. When we enter into biblical fellowship, when we have this unity, when those chains are broken in our mind, this allows us to submit to one another in love within the body. So the absence of diversity is the closeness of the bringing into proximity of those who are at one time separated. Now that diversity doesn't matter anymore. There's no more great. There's no more small. There's no more rich. There's no more poor. There's no more weak. There's no more strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the weak say, I am strong. Because we're all one in Christ. I'm out of time. But if we're going to maximize this dispensation, if we're going to be finishers, if we're going to see the move of God complete, we have to enter into biblical fellowship.
This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.org.